0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Tim Gaither Podcast, episode 62. Uh, Last week I was out of town and was unable to film, or excuse me, record a podcast. So this week's podcast is going to be called, it's what's called a swapcast. A couple weeks ago I did the clean comedy podcast with some guys named Luke LaCoy and James Creviston, and we had a good conversation. So uh, I'm going to use that for this week's podcast. Next week on episode 63, next Tuesday, will be uh, Alan Havey. We recorded a great podcast today, Comedy Store. But uh, I think you guys will enjoy this one. Make sure you go to timgathercomedy.com and uh, follow me on all my social media stuff. And check out my new dates. I recently booked some cool stuff. And this coming week, Monday, June 11 through 17, I will be in Vegas Inside the Tropicana Hotel at the Laugh Factory. So, if you're in or around that area, come check that out. And uh, yeah, that's it. Enjoy this podcast, and thanks for listening, guys. Appreciate it. God bless all of you. Bye.
1: One thing I want you to do for me. What? Come here. When? When? What are we waiting for? Take it.
2: day
3: good great. how are you i'm great man you are you are super duper funny and uh, luke uh, luke is a huge fan right away um, when we were talking about people we wanted to have on the podcast this month he like threw your he threw your name out like an excited schoolgirl. <laughs> you know what i'm saying like he was like oh tim we got up to him and i was like whoa calm down buddy like you gotta relax a little bit you can't fanboy out on this guy so uh luke uh I think Luke has a
1: really fond memory of, of hearing you for the first time. Yes. So uh, I saw you in Las Vegas at the Laugh Factory when you were filming your special. And okay. I brought my family out. Well, I was, I was with my family, and they had never been to a comedy show before. So uh, it was the first time that they saw stand-up, and uh, Raj Sharma opened, who was hilarious. You did the special, and it was just such a good show. And, like, you... I, you were hilarious and even this and then my mom like she she would not stop raving about how funny you were and I was a little bit jelly because that's when I started doing stand-up as well and she had, hadn't been to my show yet so <laughs> <laughs> you, had, you had literally
2: just started
1: yeah I had um, yeah I just started I think a, a few months ago and so that's why I was like really big on you know trying to see as many shows as I could and um, yeah yeah that's
2: yeah. smart idea a lot of people don't um, a lot of people don't do that anymore like I'll, I'll do shows on the road and sometimes like on the wednesday they'll have the open mic before the show mm-hmm. and and afterwards all those open micers will like go outside and smoke and brag about how great they did but they don't stay and watch like the actual show uh, you know, the people who've been doing it for a living for a long time and you kind of have to do that when you're especially when you're starting out yeah you know have to see what the difference is and it also it also helps with your nerves it did me anyway like when i I just went to a few um uh, at the open mic and there was a guy named brian burgess who went up who's the funniest guy you've never heard of and uh he did like 15 minutes and when he was done i looked at my brother and i go that's what i'm talking about that's how funny i'd like to be someday wow and uh a few years later um I asked Brian when I was like starting a feature and all that. I said, uh, "What do I have to do to headline?" He goes, "I need a laugh every 15 seconds for 45 minutes," <laughs> and uh, and that's kind of it's kind of an outdated way of thinking now. A lot of people don't think you have to do that, but mm-hmm. it's pretty cool when you can. And not to brag, but I think I can do that now if it's a good crowd. I can do that for 45, 50 minutes, and uh, you know, I don't know. There's still got to be some value in that. I would I would think yeah you
3: know. can you give and us it's a
2: pretty good you know that's 180 laughs I mean if you do that in 45 minutes you've done your job you know can,
3: can you give us the Tim origin story how you got into doing stand-up comedy like what what was it that that got you on that road
2: um, well you know I was always uh, when I was a kid I was I was funny but I w- I was like I would always take my like at the beginning of the school year I was always kind of shy and all that and I would just kind of pick my moments in class where I could pipe up, and then I, I I mean, I always knew I was funny, but I, and it probably hurts me to this day that I'm not more, uh, you know, like on social media and all that stuff, I'm not real, look at me, look at me, look at me, you know, and, and that's kind of the, that's kind of where the business is going, you know, um, but to answer your question, I was always funny, and I knew in the back of my mind that I should probably do something with it, like act, or. get into comedy or something but i didn't really know how to go about it and i was getting ready to uh, graduate from college well i had about another year but i was getting ready to enter the school of education and i was gonna teach and coach wrestling basically because i didn't know what else to do and i figured i'd have my summers off and i'd coach wrestling and you know it's not a bad life and and uh but in the back of my mind i knew that i wasn't going to do that i just knew that i Wanted to go to college and no one in my family had ever been, and all that, so I thought it was important to go. But the closer I got to entering the School of Education, the more I was kind of freaking out about it. Like, you know, I don't want to be a freaking teacher. Like, it, it's, it's, I went to a, I did a teacher aiding thing, and, and I was like sixth and, I think it was a bunch of sixth graders, and those kids were just awful. I mean, awful. And I went home that day, and I was so, like, anxious. I was like, gosh, I don't want to be a teacher, and I'm getting ready to enter the school of education. And once you do that, there's really no turning back. And mm-hmm. and uh, I was really starting to kind of freak out about it. And then a friend of mine, um, she invited me over one night, just a high school friend, and she was like, you got to listen to this CD, and it was Bill Hicks. And oh, wow. It was rant, rant in D Minor. Yeah. And uh, I... I I listened to that guy, and I laughed so hard at some of the stuff he was saying, and he had touched on a lot of stuff that I had thought about you know, in my life about the absurdity of a lot of things and, and how we're lied to about in a lot of ways, like by our government and all that stuff, and, mm-hmm. and he was just so funny. And I walked home that night, and I thought to myself, that is the funniest guy I've ever heard, and I've never heard of him, <laughs> which meant, to me, it meant... I can do this for a living, even if I never get famous. You don't have to get famous to do stand up for a living. Right. And uh, and I I went to my counselor the next day and I changed my major. I was like, I'm going to be a comedian. And she looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> but I was like, I was like, I was like, for the first time in my college career, I know in my heart what I want to do. And this is what I want to do. And I'm I've already got 100 and something credits. So I might as well get a degree. And she was like, well, you can get a social science degree next semester. And I was like, well, sign me up. I'll take a <laughs> And uh, I didn't start doing open mics until I graduated because I didn't I didn't want it to go bad and get discouraged.
1: Because mm-hmm. I know how
2: I am. So I figured if I put myself in a corner and had no way out, that I would be more apt to do it and do it successfully. So I went ahead and got my degree and actually, to rewind a little bit, the summer before, I thought to myself, because I've always been kind of, I never liked crowds, and I got nervous when I was a kid about even going to church or any place where there's a lot of people. But when it came to this, I just knew in my heart that I could do it. And so I knew that I had to get out of my comfort zone. So this is, this is going to sound really weird, but I went to Florida for the summer and lived with a, a buddy of mine's parents and mowed lawns because... I knew that it would get me out of my comfort zone. I'd be away from everything I knew and I was going to live with a friend's parents, which would be kind of awkward. And I was going to work with his, my friend's dad all day long. And my friend wasn't even there. It was just, I was just working with <laughs> oh my dad. My friend lived somewhere else, but I knew that it was important to get out of my comfort zone somehow. And I thought, well, that'll do it. And uh, so I mowed lawns there for two months and, and, uh, and then and then I came back and had one more semester to graduate, and I, I graduated in December of '98, and I started doing open mics in December of, or January of '99, and right at the two year mark, I, uh, the restaurant I was working at closed down, and at that point I was making, you know, a few hundred bucks a week, emceeing and featuring here and there, and so the restaurant closed down, and right like almost. Just, just under two years into comedy, it closed down, and it's been 17 years since then, and I haven't had a day job. So I've been doing it for 19 years, uh, 17 wow. for a living, and uh, I'm proud of that. I, I just wish they hadn't changed the game on us 15 years in, which is, you know, make social media so much more important than it is, because that's a full-time job now. Like, yeah. I feel like I spend more time trying to figure that out than than what I really want to be doing, which is just working and telling jokes you know but that's part of it so you can either sit on the sidelines and can you know talk about the old days or you can you know you can change it and that's what I'm trying to do but it's it's a slow process man especially once especially because it took me so long to get to the point where I I accepted it you know like well this is how it is you can either quit comedy or you can (laughs) you can get on board you know so I'm trying
3: yeah, that is awesome, man, because like so many people don't plan that out. Like I didn't I was a kid like you who would wait in, in class and try to, uh, you know, try to make people laugh when I had that shot, when there was something funny I could play off of. But I never really ever thought about doing stand up until um, I was kind of backed into a corner, kind of, like, kind of like you. And I and I said, you know, I'm about to turn 35 and everyone tells me I'm funny and everyone says I should do stand up i should just do it so i i spent um from uh, let's see september to until my birthday in july writing jokes and doing open mics and whatever and then for my 35th birthday i did a a, sh- a show i produced my own show where i did stand up for half an hour for and i was like nine months in at that point it was the it was stupid but i was like you oh yeah, I, I, I I, yeah it was it was totally stupid uh, but I wanted to do it. I like had to force myself. I had to put myself in an uncomfortable position to make it work. And then it, 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 paid off, you know, like I, I grew and I got comfortable, but it was that time up to that point was tough. And even the night that I performed, um, preacher Lawson was my, was the headliner for my show. Um, and so I featured and, uh, had a different opener and, uh, and I was intimidated because he's a funny guy. I mean, you've seen him do stuff now, but like uh, it was an amazing night. I, I learned so much in just that one set in a room of fifty people that I knew, but also mm-hmm. that, that I had to sell on the idea of paying thirty five dollars a ticket to come see me <sighs> do stand up.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, thirty five <laughs> bucks. You got thirty five bucks a show, a
3: ticket for that. Well, because what I had to do was I had to rent out the room and I provided food. So instead of making them do like the two item minimum, I, I rented out a club. And I and I had food included and stuff, and it was thirty five bucks a ticket per person to come see me do you stand up.
2: Wow, well, I might could use your help on a couple of.
3: <laughs> <laughs> any time, any time. I'm I'll not g-
2: kidding. I'm not kidding at all. I've got a couple shows coming up that I'm getting. Uh, I'm getting like eighty percent of the door, which I usually just do like a, a flat rate. And as I've been going along, I've realized that. That's not really where the money is. You've got to promote your own stuff and sell your own stuff. And, and, you know, even if you have to rent out a place and, you know, take all the risk and all that, um, the return is much greater. So I'm not kidding at all. I might totally uh, hit you up for
3: some help on that. It would be my honor, sir. It would be my honor to help you. I would love that. Hey, I'll give you eight bucks and a cheese sandwich. (laughs) You don't got to give me eight bucks, man. You just got to let me sit out there and laugh with you. That's fine. I'm down. I'm in. Well, some of the
2: stuff's in like Texas, so you'll have to travel, but
3: <laughs> I have family in Texas. Maybe we can have a cheap place to stay then.
2: Well, I'm uh I'm actually doing the uh I'm doing hyenas in Fort Worth at the end of May, and then on my birthday, May twenty seventh, is when I'm doing the the door deal thing. It's in uh it's in Austin, Texas.
3: My family's in Austin, Cedar Park. You're kidding me. I'm not. <laughs> I All got, right, well, I got your back. I mean, <laughs> wow. Yeah. And that, I'll that, and I'll we'll, drag
0: you. We'll definitely in talk in. after the podcast. Yes, we will. <laughs>
3: that is awesome. Connection. It'll be like going home, man. Oh, I haven't been home in forever. Texas, is where I grew up. But so
2: I tell you what, life, life. Sorry to interrupt you, but life no. is just weird. You know, like, like. I mean, how big is Texas? It's huge. huge. And, oh, gosh. And I didn't even know if I could do your podcast because this is just kind of a crazy week for me and I'm glad I did because I don't know that anything's gonna uh, you know work out or that I'm gonna make a huge door deal now because you're gonna potentially help me but it is weird how life works out sometimes especially when you're trying to do the right things Mm -hmm. you know even when it seems frustrating sometimes and like you're not doing everything you can with what you've been given or whatever. Like I I feel that way all the time. I'm like, I'm not doing enough. Like this is, if I'm not where I want to be, it's my fault kind of a thing. And sometimes I beat myself up, but when you just do the right thing and put in the work, you know, amazing things, can happen like not to get all philosophical i think i
3: kind of feel that way today because mitzi short passing and all that but, mm, yeah. yeah oh man we're everyone man i was so sad about that that was the one that was one dream of mine was to have mitzi see me like perform and i haven't i didn't get to get that to happen i had performed at the comedy store before but it's one of those things where man that's that was a dream of mine because she's she just was a legend you know um and you know because you perform there your name's your name's on the wall you know so
2: well i i I really honestly may be the last person that she that she passed that wow. she personally passed i'm okay. not I'm not sure of that, but I'm if I wasn't the last one, I was in the last four or five i'm almost I'm almost positive of that. That's she so turned awesome. it over. She turned it over to someone else pretty shortly after. But she's the one that gave me the go-ahead and said I had something or whatever, and uh, and sometimes, you know, I, I've been doing this for a living for a long time, but I still get plenty nervous, um, sometimes way more than others, and sometimes I just remember that she said that, and, you know,
3: it, it helps, you know? It's great when someone believes in you. How did your family take it when you said you, you were going to go get an education <laughs> degree and you wanted to do, be a stand-up comedian for, for a living?
2: Well, I don't have, uh, I don't have much of a relationship with my dad. I mean, and my, and, and, and my parents were, we were really, uh, we didn't have any money when I was a kid at all. So I put myself through college, so there wasn't much they could say as far as we put you through college. What are you doing? You know, it wasn't Mm -hmm. like that. I, I paid for it all through a wrestling scholarship and through jobs and student loans and all that stuff. So, you know, it's not like they could give me crap about it. And my mom has just always been very supportive of anything I've ever done. You know, as long as I was happy. I mean, she's she's really sweet, and and uh, she didn't necessarily know how to advise me, but she believed in me. So I've never I've had that question asked a few times actually, and um, there was no like what the heck are you doing kind of a thing. And my and I had a stepdad um, that helped me out a lot too, as far as. I had a cousin one time ask me, like, so what are you going to do now, Tim? And my my stepdad looked at him and he goes, he's doing it. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, and you have people all the time being like, you know, the, I've got friends sometimes that'll be like, man, you're going to make it. I know you are. And I'm like, well, I haven't had a day job in 17 years. Maybe I have made it. Who made yeah. you the gatekeeper? Yeah.
3: <laughs> that's, that's the best line ever. <laughs> That's the thing is I mean you have to have to believe in yourself because it's not easy like it is it is very difficult to do stand up it takes uh, a a lot of guts it takes a lot of dedication it takes a lot of time because especially in LA if you start in LA you didn't start in LA where did you, you started you didn't say Florida where did you start at
2: I started in in Kansas City which is where I mainly grew up okay. at, a, at a club called Stanford and Sons in Westport and uh Kansas city was a great place to start because there's so much work within an eight hour radius. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and when I started out, I also knew that it was important to be funny in other venues, you know, like it's one thing to kill in your home club, but it's another thing to go on the road and find out what's funny everywhere, not just in your little area, you know, and I would drive, when I was starting out, I would drive four hours each way to do five minutes at the St. Louis Funny Bone just because it was it was a different club, you know. I mean that's how serious I was about getting good at it. Like the first two years, my plan was the first two years, I don't care if I make a nickel. I just wanna get as I just wanna learn how to do this. And I tell anybody starting out, and anybody who's even been doing it just a few years, especially LA comics especially should be required to read this book before they start stinking up stages. It's right. called uh, It's called Zen in the Art of Stand-Up Comedy by Jay Sankey. Okay. And there's so many people in this business, especially starting out these days, and I see it a lot in L.A., especially, that have no clue, not only no clue what they're doing, because none of us do when we start out, but this book kind of lays it out for you like this is what you do in the MC spot this is why you do it this is what you do in the feature spot this is why you do it this is what you do in the headliner spot and this is why headlining is hard and I read that book and it made me feel like I had experience even though I had never been on stage it it just it just really outlines it for you it's a really short easy to read book but it, it should be required especially for people
3: starting out now you you're around L.A. a lot, and you you get in you do a lot of the clubs out here. Do you think it's harder to start in L.A. than anywhere else? Do you like your community? Absolutely,
2: because you guys starting out here can't get like when I was in Kansas City, we had a thing on Tuesdays called the Best of Kansas City, and if you did well at the open mic, you would eventually get invited to do the Best of Kansas City, mm-hmm. and we all split the door. And the first time I made any money doing comedy, I made eight dollars on. Uh, on a Tuesday night, we split the door. My cut was eight bucks. But I got to do, like, ten minutes, and I'd only been doing comedy, like, probably a month, maybe wow. two. And, and then and it, within a couple of months, I was doing sets all over town that were, like, 15, 20 minutes, you mm-hmm. know. And in L.A., if you start out here, it's so hard to find stage time anywhere, and when you do, it's usually a bunch of other comics in the back just waiting to go on. They don't—they're not watching. They're not—they're not good crowds. Yeah. So you can't really get a feel for it. I see so many comics out here now that—and again, not to—you know, there's a lot of good comics that started out here too. I just think it's a harder place to start. But sometimes I see guys out here that are—they've—they've they've been doing bad audiences for so long that when they get a laugh, it throws them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's just it, so to answer your question, yeah, I think it's much harder out here because it's so hard to get stage time. And when you do, it's only a few minutes. Yeah, you know. And within six months, I was doing thirty-minute sets, you wow. know, all over Kansas City. And within an hour or two around the area, there was always gigs, and I was able to make money pretty quickly into it. You know, um, not a lot, of course, but a little bit. You know, and that. That keeps you going.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's a lot more than most comedians make in L.A. In L.A., you're lucky if you get a drink ticket, you know, with, with your show, with your stand-up set. Yeah. So, yeah, in three or five minutes.
2: Yeah. When I first moved out here, people would ask me to do gigs, and I'm like, does that pay? And they would look at me like I was insane. Like, no, of course it doesn't pay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, I I mean, I applaud you for if, This is where you started, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I applaud you for starting out here because it is – it is, I, I think, way more difficult. You, you almost would have been better off starting out in a different city and then moving to L.A., but it sounds like you're a few years into it now, so yeah. there's no turning back. But, yeah, to answer your question in a long-winded way, I apologize for being so long-winded, but, uh, yeah, I, I think it's definitely a harder place to start.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about LA is you know, you get that small amount of time. So, a lot of times when people do get more time, it's because they made their own room or they uh, made a door deal or or rented a venue so they could get that time because otherwise, you're right, you're going to get three, five minutes. And a lot of places are, you only get that time if you bring a a certain amount of people as well, which makes it more difficult because people don't want to hear you over and over again. They don't want to keep coming out to see you do the same thing over and over again, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I still. I mean, it's been a while since anyone's asked me to do like a bringer show, but I, I've done a couple where people are like, you know, we'd like you to bring people. And I'm like, I'm not going to invite people I know to see me do five minutes or seven minutes, you know, especially if it goes bad because it's a Hollywood crowd and sometimes they're the worst audiences on the planet. I gonna fight someone I know out that's never seen me, and then they see me do seven minutes at some crappy bar, and they're like, "Oh, Gaither is really not doing well." <laughs> <laughs> like like his career is in the toilet. Facebook so you know, nice. and I remember, you know, all my friends telling them that, or going to their reunion and being like, "Yeah, I saw Tim Gaither. It looks like it's going pretty bad for
3: him." <laughs> what is your What's your favorite part about being a comedian? What's the thing that that makes you the most joyful about it because it's not an easy gig, you know, it's it's tough sometimes.
2: Um the actual being on stage when a crowd is is good. Like I I said someone a long time ago I was like if the crowds knew how much better we were when they're good, Mm -hmm. they would always be good. And so to answer your question, that's my favorite part still is is trying to be in the moment of it. You know, and when you're on stage, like I was sick recently. I was doing the Reno Laugh Factory, and I just I'd eaten buffet food or something. I just mm. did not feel well, and the stage took it all away, man. And it always oh. does. I've had my back thrown out. I've done 45 minutes, literally leaning over a stool, oh. um, and but it all goes away. I've I've gone through depression and breakups, and I've been doing it long enough that I know how it's supposed to sound. Yeah, and 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 how much better i am when they're a good audience so again that's my favorite part is just being on stage and it going well and them getting it and not being all judgmental and right. uh, i don't have any mean spiritedness in my heart so it bothers me when people don't see that but mm. um, so yeah i'm sorry i'm so long-winded on all these answers but no no no, no. this is
3: what we this is exactly what we want like this is what, why we started this podcast? We started this podcast a little over a year ago now, mm-hmm. and it's growing and growing because this is what people want to know. Like, as comedians, it's hard to know where to be looking for answers or advice because sometimes people just shut down on you. They don't want to tell you because they think you're going to take their spot or you're, they're going to you're going to steal their thing or whatever it is. But really, if like the best part about being a comedian sometimes is the community of comedians that you're around. Mm. So
2: yeah, and I miss that about about Kansas City, especially we, you know, we had a little group of guys that, you know, we'd go to the open mic and we'd all sit in the back and kind of good naturedly make fun of the open micers
1: and, <laughs> and
2: uh, you know, kind of bond over it, you know, especially like if you ate it or, or you had a great set or something, we'd sit in the back of the room and there was this one specific table that, you know, you would kind of made it in, in parentheses, quotations, whatever you want to say, when... In that room, especially when you could sit in the back table when you were welcome back there. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, and then we could, you know, there was there was always these open micers that, you know, some of them had been doing comedy. Some of them had been doing comedy 10 years, and they had been doing the same exact three minutes that never got a laugh. They were just so <laughs> proud of writing that three minutes. That they would do it every freaking Monday, and every once in a while they'd get a laugh, and I'd look at whoever's sitting next to me, and I go, "Well, that's going to keep him doing it two more
1: years." (laughs) (laughs) That's no, I
2: do my own podcast, and uh, I'm having a lot more fun being a guest than actually doing mine because when I'm actually doing the podcast, I don't want any dead air, and I'm like, you know, making sure I keep it going and all that. It's Mm -hmm. a lot more pressure than just sitting here and answering questions, so. Yeah, when you said 25 minutes I'm like eh, I can get going man so I don't know if that's gonna be enough <laughs>
3: hey you know what we'll take we'll take what we can get because we're gonna pick your brain now like it's that is awesome uh, so I know you had a question though because I could see it on your face
1: yeah I mean so from what it sounded like when you when you were uh, gonna start comedy you did a lot of planning you did you started to do things that took you out of your comfort zone what was that first experience like on stage on, on your, at your at your first open mic?
2: Uh, the first time for me was great I had about 11 friends in the audience from high school and and I had my three minutes down cold you know like mm-hmm. I mean I knew exactly word for word what I was gonna say and I had already practiced I had bought it I'd bought this small ampl- amplifier and with a microphone it cost me like hundred bucks and I'd sit in my room and, and practice not only my act but i would practice talking into that microphone because that's Mm -hmm. something else a lot of people don't realize before they do open mic is that it all changes when you start when you speak into that mic if you've never done it and hearing your voice amplified and all that stuff it's weird and Mm -hmm. and and someone taught me before i started i went to i went to one workshop before i started and the guy was like don't you know you're gonna have a tendency to want to look at the mic don't ever don't look at the microphone just keep it under your chin and Something else I see a lot these days is people don't use the microphone. I'm like, that is an application device. (laughs) (laughs) Mouth and and use that thing. There's no reason to scream. Um, It's a microphone, Mm -hmm. you know, and and if you talk too low or if you got your face way back, like you're too cool to talk into the microphone, well, guess what? 80% of the crowd can't hear you Mm -hmm. and... And if I have a, a crowd that talks too much, I just talk louder into that microphone.
1: Yeah, you
2: know, <laughs> especially with the crowd that I'm just having to push play in my head and get through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I just talk louder into the microphone and grit my teeth and get through it.
3: Yeah, that's so funny. That's what well, I, the I did. First
2: time was great to answer your question.
3: Okay, <laughs> that's what I that's what I did too. is I bought an, uh, a microphone and an amp so I could practice in my apartment and just go over my set over and over and over and over and over again. So by the time I got up on stage, I'd be ready to go. And people were like, you're crazy. You have no, no one to bounce that off of. And I said, it doesn't matter if I know it now and I get on stage and I get a laugh and then I, then I, I'm recording it and I know where the laughs are going to be. And then I just go back and tighten it up again. That's what the open mic is for.
2: Yeah. And that's something else people need to do when they start out is record. And even now I, I need, I've, I try to record almost every set I do because you never know when something is going to come. You know, I do most of my best writing on stage, like a tagline or yeah. something. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times if you're not recording it, you're not going to remember that. It's yeah. just wasted. So, But if you, if you record it and then you listen to it, sometimes you can write, you know, in a hot set, you can write two minutes. You know, so if you do that, you record ten shows and write two minutes off the top of your head and are mm-hmm. diligent about it. You can have 15 minutes and you know three to six months no problem
3: mm-hmm. yeah now how what's your um, structure for writing do you sit down and write stuff or do is it all just on stage you know I
2: I can't say that I never sit down and write I, I don't I certainly don't do it every day which I probably should but the best stuff has always been something I said on stage and I, I just keep saying it that way mmm and sometimes I'll write it, write it down, or write it out, and and all that. But the best jokes for me are always, and my whole life it's been this way. Like if I was in class and I thought too much about something before I said it, it didn't ever get the laugh. And I'm, you know,
1: yeah,
2: almost 20 years in the comedy and and 42 years old, and I'm still learning that. Like, don't say it. you've Thought too much about it. Don't say it. Mm. And sometimes I'll say it anyway, and I still won't get the laugh. And I'm like, God, you never learn. <laughs> So, yeah, I I mainly write on on stage, um, and some stuff, you know, like I said, occasionally I'll get something from writing, and I I think writing is a great thing to do, certainly, but personally, I mainly get most of my stuff on stage.
1: And then, uh, when you were starting to develop your material, like, I remember from your special, um, a good chunk of the special was about, uh, like, about your family, and um, growing up, and, and your parents. Um, is that something that you, uh, started to, uh, go into later in your comedy career or did you start out kind of with, with topics like that?
2: Um, I, I don't, I don't, do I have a lot of stuff about my family? It seems like I don't, I don't really, but ah, I mean, like, I guess I, I definitely have some.
1: Those, um, I don't know. Those are but the... I,
2: I, I know that I could write more about my family, uh-huh. um, especially my dad. The other night I was at the Comedy Magic Club and I was just talking about my dad and our relationship and how Rocky movies raised me more than my dad. And and I was just being honest and I was just talking and Larry Miller... Um, goes, is that in your act? And I was like, no. And he goes, well, it should be.
1: Yeah.
2: And uh, and I've had people tell me that a lot when I talk about my dad, especially, and sometimes mm. my mom too. So uh, I probably should tap into
1: that a little more than I do. Okay. Yeah. Those those were the topics that I, I remembered, and it might have been because I had my fam like you know my parents there too, and I, I don't know. Those those were the jokes specifically that that I remembered from from your act.
2: I, I definitely probably
1: have, and and even
2: then I probably had. I don't know, three, four, or five minutes. But I, I, you know, who knows? I, I spread stuff out too, so I kind of, I kind of forget sometimes yeah. um, just how much I have, unless I really go over my set. And then I'm like, oh, well, I guess I do. So you're probably right.
3: <laughs> now, do you do this if you're on the road or whatever? Say you're performing at a place, uh, you know, like a 7:30 show and a 9:30 show or something like that. Do you do the same set for both shows, or do you ever mix it up where you do one set at the at the first part and another set at the second part, or anything like that?
2: Um. You know, maybe to my detriment, I was taught pretty early about, you know, you want to laugh every 15 for 45. So I really like to get laughs. Um, so sometimes I might do, I'm probably guilty of doing material too long and keeping, you know, but to answer your question, no, I don't. I I switch it up in the fact that I, sometimes I'll do a different order, even though. There's value in doing it in the same order for me because my set is to like I'm a big fan of segues, yeah, and I like it to make sense and I like it to be like one long story, yeah. You know, um, so I think segues are important. So sometimes I get I, I'm probably guilty and I'm trying to break myself of it a little bit of, of of not being so regimented about it um, because some of the best stuff comes out when you're just kind of flying off the cuff. That's why I like going to the comedy store, especially.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, But yeah, I definitely will try, you know, I try to do, and that's another reason I record it, is you never know, you know, there's always like five minutes that almost every show that I've never done because there'll be crowd work or something like that. And sometimes you can get jokes out of that. Yeah. Um, And I'll try, especially when I work in Vegas, that's a great room to like, like I have, I'll usually have a goal when I'm there to try at least one new minute every set so by the end of the week you've done 14 shows you've tried out another 15 minutes and you might get seven of that as good so it's a process man i mean it it really is to get jokes that work all the time in every environment especially the way i write i don't write out real long-winded stuff Mm -hmm. so yeah i don't know if i answered your question
3: but no you totally did this is this is gold like I feel like I know it's gonna sound weird. I feel like you were my older brother that somehow we got split up when we were kids and now like you're able to come back and teach me stuff. Like so that's what I feel like's happening right now. It's like your brothers came back and he's like, I'm gonna tell you about my life and now this is how the world works. You're like, Oh okay, all right, I'm gonna listen now, you know. So How
1: how old are you?
3: I just turned thirty six, I'll turn thirty seven, uh, this this year in July.
1: Okay. Yeah,
2: I talked to a kid the other night when I was uh I mean, you're not a kid, but I was talking to this guy, was about, he was about 25, and he had just started comedy, and I did this this one-nighter that, it was a lot of younger people there, and it frankly didn't go all that well, and, uh, but I was in one of those moods where it didn't bother me, I just kind of almost felt sorry for him, like, ah, you're so dumb, like, you don't even know, you know, there's so much you think you're being, like, you think you're being, like, progressive about, but you're really just stupid, <laughs> and... And uh, he came up to me afterwards and was really complimentary, and we got to talking, and I realized how much stuff he knew, and it kind of gave me faith. Just talking to that kid it gave me faith in like, like that. That there's a lot of smart young people out there too, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not all, they're they're not all. Uh, I don't even know how to say it, but I, I was doing some stuff about race, and a lot of time as a white guy, they. Crowds get really tight about that. They're like, oh, you can't talk about race. I had someone, I had a comedian tell me uh, a couple years ago, he goes, you have an accent, so you can't talk about race because people will think you're racist. And I looked at him, and I go, dude, if you think someone's racist because they have an accent, you are just as ignorant (sighs) as a racist.
3: Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Because
2: you're judging me because of the way I talk. That is, that's, that's the same thing as being like, oh, there's a black guy, watch out, he'll steal your stuff. That's, that's
1: the same thing.
2: Judging someone you don't know based on the color of their skin is racism, even if that person is white. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's something that drives me nuts about today's society, is everyone's like, it's like, it's like racism is fine unless you're white, and then Mm -hmm. you're evil. And it's like, no, it's all bad. (laughs) If it's truly racist, it's all bad. It's not like, you know, a minority can be racist and that's fine, but white people can't. I mean that's this seems to be how how it is. I'm not saying that, that you should be able to be racist if you're white. No one should is right, what yeah, I'm trying to say. Yeah. Am I making sense or do I yeah, sound like yeah.
3: a No, exactly. That's I mean you're you sound like George Carlin right now because that's exactly the same thing he was he would say, you know.
2: Well, good because uh, I sure respect the hell out of George Carlin. It just drives me. Same. It just drives me crazy when people don't see it that way. You yeah. Know, it's mm-hmm. like I've heard, I've seen posts on Facebook that say things like "I hate white people" and it'll have like two hundred likes, and I'm like, I'm like, that is the very definition of racism. <laughs> you when you judge a group of people you have never met. Based on the color of their skin, that is the definition of racism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You idiots! You know, <laughs> and just because they're they're white doesn't make it okay. We're supposed to be evolving as a society and becoming a human race, not not well. They well, whitey screwed us over back in the day, so now it's open season on them. Mm-hmm. No, it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be evolving. You know, yeah. all of us are, and yeah. it just drives me crazy the hypocrisy of the whole thing.
3: Yeah, and I think that's what com comedy is good for too—is attacking subjects like that and letting people know that these are real issues and that we need to address them, but in a, a funny way, because then people kind of will listen to it a little bit more and go, "Oh, maybe yeah. he's right. Maybe he's right that this is the thing." That's why. That's why I said I love George Carlin because a lot of things he talked about were were very controversial and very political. But you listen to him and you go, "He's right. He made it funny, and now I'm willing to listen even more and pay attention and try to figure out how can I can how can I." Be a part of the solution, not part of the problem.
2: Well, that's the stuff I've I've been been thinking about a lot lately, and trying to uh, talk about in my act. And and you're right; it has to be funny, or no one cares. Because if you're just on a soapbox, then yeah, people don't come out to hear that. Mm -hmm. That was the genius of Bill Hicks. He talked about some very controversial things. But he was hilarious, mm-hmm. and a, a guy I knew a long time ago, Freddie DeMarco, goes, "Bill Hicks almost ruined comedy because so many comics tried to be like him, mm-hmm. and and very few people can actually pull it off. It's 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 tricky to talk about things that are important and people should listen to, especially about like these days. Um, it's really hard to talk about how evil our government is, and and but and, and my opinion is that our government is." Pretty dang evil, and uh, they do a lot of things that most people don't have the time to delve into or look at, and I'm a comedian. I've got plenty of free time. (laughs) I've gone down some rabbit holes that, frankly, I wish I hadn't gone down. Don't even get me started on 9-11 because that's a whole different podcast.
3: Right, right. We might have to come back to that one day. (laughs) That's the thing is, like, there was Bill Hicks. Then I feel like there was George Carlin, and there hasn't really been... Anyone like that since? I mean, I know, like, I'm a big Joe Rogan fan. I know he does some political stuff here and there, but not, not a lot. Nothing like Carla does. But I feel like we—that's—that's that's a time and age that needs to be addressed and not be addressed by. No offense to like twenty somethings, but not really addressed by them. They don't have enough life experience to really go for it, and they can't segue from a, a Tinder joke to talking about politics. Like those two things yeah. don't really. Work well, so it's got to be somebody who has that knowledge, who has that ability. That's why George Carlin, he was like your grandpa, but he was going to tell you how it was and how it's supposed to be, and then you go, "Oh yeah, I get it." Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I don't. I, I I think I'm pretty ignorant when it comes to politics, yeah. but I definitely looked into a few things, and I'm like, "Oh wow, the media <laughs> is." controlled by the government frankly which they don't people most people don't know that Mm -hmm. like ge is like the top 10 defense spending company in the world or something and they're they own nbc so if you think that they don't tell nbc what to say if nbc wants to stay in business then you're you're mistaken
3: yeah (laughs) it's good stuff well, Tim, we're we're at 40 minutes. This is the longest one we let anybody go. I'm I'm excited that we're going to do this. Where can people find you and where like if people are in LA, where can they come out and see you if they if you're going to be traveling around? What's your schedule look like? Where can they find you? Where can they reach out to you? Where can they get your stuff or whatever? Okay.
2: Well, first of all, I appreciate you guys having me on. I hope I didn't sound like too much of a nut job there at the end, but, No, we love um, it. No
1: worries. No, not all. You know,
2: it is stuff I want to start talking about sure. and and you know, trying to make funny, obviously. I won't do it if it's not funny. Um or at least if I don't think it's funny but uh, they can find me my website is timgathercomedy.com and all my social media links are on there it's at timgaither I believe for Instagram and my uh, my can you guys still hear me someone's trying to call me no yeah we yeah. can hear you yep okay um my Facebook is uh Tim Gaither, my fan page, and uh my Twitter is at Gaither tim But all that stuff can be found on Tim and I'm trying to uh my friend my friend Drake and I, if I have a, a podcast, it's on SoundCloud, it's on a lot of things actually, iTunes and all that stuff, but you can find it through my website again. It's just called the Tim Gaither Com- the Tim Gaither podcast is what it's called Tim, Tim Gaither, Gaither podcast. podcast okay and we talk about it um, I've got a YouTube Tim Gaither and my friend Drake and I are going to be starting to put a lot more stuff on there and trying to get some traction that way
0: because
1: awesome. the
2: goal is always just to become a bigger draw you know mm-hmm. yeah
1: um, and
2: especially I want my goal is to be become a bigger draw. So I have people coming specifically to my shows, which also helps talk about, helps you talk about the things that are important to you. So
1: yeah,
2: uh, please follow me on all that stuff and go to timgathercomedy.com to do it. It's that's probably the easiest way instead of remembering all those links and stuff. Um, So yeah, I really appreciate you guys having me on. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you very much.
3: And uh, we're going to, we're going to push our followers to follow you on Twitter and stuff and Mm -hmm. make follow, get out there and see you some more. And, uh, this, um, do you have anything that's coming out in the, in the next little bit that you want to plug? Do you have any albums or specials or anything like that coming out anytime soon? Or do you have al- albums that people can download or buy on iTunes or anything like that?
2: Um, if they – well, the best way to do it right now because I'm kind of in some negotiations about some things. Okay. So the best, way to, the best way to probably do it is uh, just, just to email me through my website. And if they want a DVD, I'll be happy to uh, – to send them one. There you go. Um, and, uh, yeah, I forgot what I was going to say, but, yeah, you guys have a lot of social media links too, so you can, you can help.
1: Oh, we you know, will. And I'll, yeah, certainly, I'll
2: certainly share it on mine, and, uh, and yeah, Luke, I would like to talk to you more about that Austin thing. So Oh, James, it James. James, I'm sorry.
3: No worries. We sound similar. <laughs> okay. Yeah,
2: you do, actually. I didn't know <laughs> who I was talking to you half the
3: time. That's no, all good. All right, so, Thank you so much, Tim, for joining us yeah. on this. Uh, you can find me. You can email me at gmail.com for anything. And Luke is on.
1: I'm on social media at lacoycomedy Comedy on all the social medias.
3: So, are you guys, when you guys hear this episode, go and start following Tim. Uh, harass him to come to your town, and uh, you know, message him so he, you can buy his DVD and support him because he's a funny guy. He's a great guy, and uh, he gave us a lot of comedy gold. And you're, you guys, I mean, it, was, it was awesome. So, thank you again so much, yeah. Tim.
1: Thanks, Tim.
2: Yeah, I'll be on any time you guys want. All right, awesome. Thank you. Thank you. You bet.